As I was a riding down the street, down the street, down the street, a pretty gal I chanced to meet under the silvery moon. Buffalo gal, won't you come out tonight? Come out tonight. Come out tonight. Oh, Buffalo gal. Hello and Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Buja, and joining me, hee haw, hee haw. As always is Amy Thomason. Matt Marchetti is uh, off this week. We wish him all the best and a very happy holidays. Amy, how are you doing? Very much in the holiday spirit. It was the last day of school before Christmas break, so mayhem ensued, but we got through the day, and it was a great day. Yeah, got through the day sober, I assume. Didn't have a drink. Sadly, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> Well, uh, this is our last show of the year. It's our final Christmas episode. Very excited about this. There are obviously not a lot of Christmas movies that were nominated, but this is one of the big ones. This this episode, we are doing the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Yay! Directed by Frank Capra, written by Frank Capra, based on the story The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Dorn Stern, starring the one and only James Stewart. Jimmy Stewart, sorry. Donna Reed, Lionel Barrymore, Henry Travers, among many, many others. Now is the time of the show we talk about our personal connections to this film. Amy, what is yours? I have seen this movie at least once a year since I was in seventh grade. And I am the only person in my family, I think, who, one, loves the film, my parents only saw it a couple years ago because before I had my son, I was in a play and I played Violet Bick. Ah. Town flirt, got to wear fabulous hat, fabulous little dresses. It was so much fun. I have the setting to Bedford Falls set that my in-laws got me on my entertainment center. I love this movie. Yeah. So you might say you're probably a little biased towards, towards this. I am, but... the more I watch it as I get older, I definitely have different perspectives on it. Not to say that I don't love it as much, but I notice different themes or different themes of the movie hit me in different ways as I get older. And I think that's just a testament to what a great movie it is. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. There really, the really is. And I think it's a deceptively simple film. I think it's a lot deeper and a lot darker than some people might think. But I don't want to go into that yet. Right. We, we'll save that for later. Uh, my story, I may have hinted at it over the course of these last few weeks, is that my mom hates this movie. So if you're listening, mom, calling you out. Interesting. I don't know why. I believe what she would probably say, she would call this sentimental claptrap. She loves that phrase. My sister feels the same exact way. She no. Feels, right. My family's kind of the same way. My parents liked it because I was in the play, but my sister is like, ugh. Right, it just does like, Blech. yeah, but this was, this was one of those prejudices that sort of was passed on to the children because I never saw it until this podcast because we, it was just never played in the house. We were a white Christmas family. My mom loves White Christmas with Bing Crosby. It's a great movie. It's Matt, great, amazing soundtrack and everything. Or like the Garfield Christmas. We love the Garfield Christmas. A bunch of other things. But It's a Wonderful Life was it was never on rotation at all. I 
Mom, if you could call up, that would be great. We would love to have a conversation with you about that, but I'm sure we'll get to it some So, uh, so I got to go in with, um, without like the 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 youthful aspect of it. Without like this is a part of my childhood. This is it never was, but I did obviously know that this is it's a wonderful life. It is a beloved American classic, one of the most critically acclaimed films of all time and it's watched every year as a Christmas classic, et cetera. So there is that, you still have that, you still know about it, even if you've never seen it before. It's, you know, I, I was amazed it's, it's that. It's far, far iconography. Yeah. Oh, it, it absolutely is. I was amazed that all of the, all of the other movies that had riffed on this. Uh, before, Television yeah, shows. Beverly Hills 90210 did a whole riff on it one year. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a time, it's a timeless theme. Some a lot of the a lot of the scenes are iconic. Last of the Moon, George Bailey running down the street saying "Merry Christmas" to everybody. Like them those falling are... in the pool during the Charleston contest. Yeah, which is great, by the way. Charleston's hilarious. Oh. I love that. It's so much fun. But uh, it's one of those films that you can not watch, like I I did, and still say that you have seen it because. You, it just gets talked about so much. It gets dissected. It gets discussed. It gets added into other movies, even in the smallest little bits. Um, you do, unless you're my parents. When I watched it with my parents, my parents legit did not know how the movie ended. Really? Which wow. shocked me. Okay. It shocked me. And this is, my son is five, so this was before I had him. So this was about six years ago. And I watched it with them because they're like, oh, we've never seen the movie. And I was like, what? <laughs> I like practically, and I took all my mom's magazines away because she likes to read and knit and do things where she watches movies. I was like, no, 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 no. Pulled Watch everything this. out of her hands. I'm like, we're watching this movie. And she legitimately didn't know how it ended. And I was like, I thought every American was just born knowing the basic premise of this. And it's a movie I watched by myself every year on Christmas Eve. I'd be like, good night, folks. I'm going to watch my movie. Right. Also, at the same time, they must have. A, do they have any passing familiarity with Frank Capra or how no. he does things? No. No. Okay. That's Not another a, thing that you I'm just assume. The movie person in the family. I got it from no one. No, I, I don't know if they've seen anything. And I say this with love and respect. I love you, mom. But chariots. If it's not chariots of fire or out of Africa, my mom probably hasn't seen it. Those two movies. Which, by Those the way, which, which. Amy's mom, we will get to those. They both won Best Picture. We will talk about them, and it will be very exciting. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. As you know, but and yeah, there's a couple on. other movies she likes, but those are her two, like, when she wants to escape, like, Carrots and I'd say fire? out of Africa the most. Yes. If you, I'm sorry, I just have this look on my face like, what? Okay, it's just narrative. Awesome, but... Okay, hey, uh, I will not disparage anybody's uh, escape time, their their movie time, their movie choices. Uh, there are millions of movies out there, and a lot of them appeal to any number of people. So, kudos to you. Just very, to me, very odd choice. But hey, maybe me unwinding with two thousand one is a very odd choice for a lot of other people. So for me, that's weird. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. But my- but my three favorite films, Gone with the Wind, Goodfellas, and Sunset Boulevard. They're oh. sort of all over the place. It's madness. 
Imagine. But those three movies are my like. I can talk about any of them for hours at a, hours at a time. Yeah, we and will. Yeah, and we and we will on this yeah. show. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But right now, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss the uh, 1946 Academy Awards, to which "It's a Wonderful Life" was nominated, but failed to win. Uh, Russell Sherman at that time, who was a, uh, an excellent special effects man, came up with the idea of using a product called Fomite. And what he would do is he would mix that with a little bit of water and a little bit of soap, and it would get foamy, and he's playing around with it. And he takes that foam that he has, and he threw it in front of a small fan. Well, this is great. We can use this for falling snow. So from that, Russell took that from the little fan and a little bit of soap, and now he made it in 55-gallon drums, and, we, and he put it in front of really big fans like this, and he was able to create that effect uh, on the back lot where they did that famous uh, snow scene that you see at the end of the movie. That snow, all you see that snow falling was, at that time was, in those early days, even that foam and that snow was biodegradable. That started a whole new era of, of making snow for us. Uh, and I think they did mention that we also gave uh, Russell a um, Scientific Achievement Award for that, creating that effect. And behind... This is an episode of For Your Reconsideration, where we look back at the Best Picture nominees, but not winners, at the Academy Awards. At the 19th Academy Awards in 1947, the best years of our lives went home with Best Picture, among uh, also director, actor, and I believe editing as well. Uh, nominated for, I believe, all of those was also It's a Wonderful Life, although we can confirm that. Best Picture, obviously, yes. Best Director, Frank Capra. Best Actor, who is it? Jimmy Stewart. Obviously. Goes by James Stewart, and I'm just like, no. James. No, it's like, it's like me, it's me calling you Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. I'm like, no. No, 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 no. no. You're The Rock. Yes. Jimmy Stewart, you're The Rock. That's just the way, this way it is, and all, he will always be LL Cool J. I don't care if he ever tries to change his name. It's always LL Cool J. And, of course, Best Film Editing. Now, as I recall, The Best Years of Our life, Lives came out a week or two before It's a Wonderful Life and ended up being the highest grossing film, I think, of the decade of the 40s. Oh, probably. Um, very, very timely. This is 1946. It's a year after the end of World War II. Our boys are coming home, and something is not quite right. So it really spoke to the timing and the place of where America was at, because 10% of all young men had gone over and fought in one of the two campaigns. Uh, we did. We have discussed that movie on uh, the show already. Uh, it was a fascinating discussion with a great co-host, of, uh, by the name of Chris Olson from the Pop Culture Lens podcast, who is very, very knowledgeable about this. So I can verify. It's a very good episode. I haven't seen the movie. I know about it. But not only did it have all those wonderful things, it also had Howard Russell, an actual vet who actually mm-hmm. lost his hands, which 100% adds even more of a gripping reality. Yes. And uh, if you want a, want a little taste how uh he won he's the only actor to win two awards for the same exact movie he won best supporting actor and a special achievement award which is one of the first ones the academy had ever given because he was an actual vet and uh he's very very good in the movie and it's a well-deserved 
acting win. Uh, Frederick March is great in the best years of her lives. Uh, utterly phenomenal. But, man, it must have been a race between him and Jimmy Stewart because, man, George Bailey, if he is not an iconic American figure alongside, say, Atticus Finch, I don't know who is. He's just, he's just one, of those, one of those characters, one of those names. I would say more so than Atticus Finch, because when I think of Atticus Finch, I do tend to think more about the book than the movie. Mm. With all due respect to the movie, the movie's a very fine film. But when I think Atticus Finch, I think of literary character. I don't think movie character. Okay, I, George, I, 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 I just go Gregory Peck. Like... Whereas George Bailey is much more like, he's all Jimmy Stewart in that movie. Yeah. If you, yeah, I mean, if you were to tell somebody, if you were, to, if you told somebody that it's a wonderful life was just, it was written, it was just an original thing by Frank Capra, you'd be like, oh yeah, of course. I, I did not even know this was based on something until like the opening credits or even just doing, uh, you know, doing the research for this movie. But uh, it did walk away with one Academy Award, an interesting one. What was that? Really interesting. Yeah, and you tell. When I looked this up, I think out loud, I actually said, oh, wow, that's really cool. It won a special technical achievement award for a new method of simulating falling snow. Ooh. Because previously they had used painted cornflakes, which were noisy. Uh -huh. So they came up with this new method of simulating falling snow. And as I said, when I was reading about this today, I was said, that is the coolest thing ever. I didn't know that. Yeah. Snow, it's the small technical things, because the snow is just, it's very present in the movie. You just, you don't, you take it for granted when you see it in movies and whatnot. But everything you see on a screen and every single frame is concocted. It's usually created or designed in some ways just like it is everything is even if it's natural it's not natural something there's something to it there's something to every everything you see and uh snow is is a big one it still doesn't quite melt which is what real snow does but hey if it makes for a better performance i'll allow it and it actually works very dramatically in the in the movie itself so you feel that it's cold at the end of the movie yeah even though it was 90 degrees when they filmed that and you can see Jamie Stewart sweating his ass off, but man, oh man, you know, I was like, that just looks fucking. It's like George Bailey is he's at the end of his rope. He's cold. It's just oh, oh it's just heartbreaking. You're like, yeah, he's he's cold. He's, he's and that, cold right now. that freshness, we can probably talk about that later. That scene, but the snow really does add to the feeling at the end of the film. Oh yeah, big yeah. time. It's great cinematic shorthand, but you know, and, you know, snow itself is just very it's very metaphorical, a good representation of cold, twilight of the soul, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, like that. So, uh, it's a wonderful life. Sadly, did not win best picture, but it may have, in fact, won the war in the hearts and minds of people as it became, uh, you know, an instant, well, not an instant classic, but it a didn't. Classic. And that was another thing. It barely made its movie, its, uh, excuse me, its money back. Right. That also surprised me because, again, it's so part of our country. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a very long war. It was like over 71 years or something. Yeah. And 
I was like, oh my gosh. And you just assume that it's always been this way. And it wasn't. And I think that that also could have been another factor why it didn't win. I mean, it, it's very possible. And people were saying uh, Frank Capra's at the end of his at the end of his rope. He didn't really never make anything else that was as eventually beloved as this. But like to, to count Frank Capra out, two a multiple Academy Award winning Frank Capra, whose film two of films we have already discussed on this show, is it's folly. It's folly. It's like counting it's like counting Spielberg out. Like of course Spielberg's going to be in the running. Steven Spielberg. Yes. He's making a movie about the Panama Papers and journalism. Like, that's going to be... How is that not a contender already? It is, but, you know, it's one of those things. Like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Can't wait to see the post. Just side note. Oh, so excited. Very, very excited about that. But um, do you have anything else to add about the, the Academy Awards that year that perhaps has not already been discussed in our Best Years of Our Lives episode? Probably I can hold way until the end of the show. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll do a little recap at the end. We will. We will indeed. In that case, we're going to take another short break, and when we come back, we will finally discuss The Wonderful Life. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, and the next day, and next year, and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know, and then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What do you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, no. tell me. If I don't, it might not come through. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it, and it'd all dissolve, see? And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Amy, for those of us who have been living under a rock, or are not Americans, or just for whatever reason have not heard of this movie, what is It's a Wonderful Life all about? According to every synopsis I've ever read, it is very neatly summed up as a man is given the quote unquote gift of seeing how the world would be different if he were never born. Hmm. But it's really about so much more than that. It is about so much more than that. I That's so, sort of the general gist that people kind of give. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's the part that's the part everybody remembers, but so okay, I'm coming into this fresh. Never seen it yeah. before. I would so you hear about it's a wonderful life and how it's uh, it's angel comes down and you know we, George Bailey sees his life and like that's the movie and I kept uh, I admit I kept looking at my watch and going when does the whole this is how it could have been happen occur in this like what's what Very like what is this it, it towards the end and for not that long I was I was shocked by I thought the entire point of this was to show him how things could have been and I just always assume that meant we're going to devote like half of it to setting up and then half of it to being like here's how it could have been what do you think 
very shocked by the uh, by how it actually turned out. It is, and that's why I think it's interesting. It's summed up that way. It's sort of like again, not to bring back To Kill a Mockingbird, but when I read To Kill a Mockingbird, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, it's about a guy defending a black man accused of rape." And when I read the book, the first half of the book is nothing to do with mm-hmm. it, and I'm like, "When's this case coming up?" Right. And then you finish the book, and you're like, "Oh, it's about so much more than just." a lawyer defending a black man accused of rape. Right. And the, It's a Wonderful Life is exactly the same way. It's about the life of a man. Right. Who does not that's have to I... defend a black man who's accused of rape. Yeah. Let's be honest. So, that's fine. But yes, it's about, it is about the life of a everyday average guy, business owner, who has to give up his dreams over for the, and over, over and over again for the sake and of others. And, you know what? I can absolutely see people relating to George Bailey. I've been George Bailey. Have you been George Bailey? Every day, people <laughs> like us are George Bailey. I should not have asked the mom that. I feel like that's... Just and it a... doesn't... And I think what's so human about it is that it's not always these big, huge dreams. You know what I mean? And with him, he what did he want to do? He wanted to get out of Bedford Falls. He wanted to travel. Yeah, travel. And then maybe he wanted to be an architect. And mm-hmm. design bridges that are mile long and buildings that are hundred stories high, hundred hundred stories high, and those are not. He did not want to become king of Marrakesh or some world famous movie star. Those are at least getting out of Bedford Falls. Those are achievable dreams. They're very, very attainable. And yet, and, and yet he does, and yet he never does. He he doesn't. And unlike later in the 50s, that kind of look becomes so cynical mm-hmm. that, oh, I gave up my dreams and they become these very bitter, cynical movies into the 50s and later and even today. True. But I think we can, we can relate to it. We all, you know, we look back and I look back when I was young I and I'm a teacher. I didn't go to college to become a teacher. I didn't decide to become a teacher until I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And so you look back and you're like, okay, so I'm not living in New York. I don't have these big theater dreams, but I'm happy. Yeah, and sometimes you need. That's where uh, that's where Clarence uh, Oddbody comes in, the guardian angel, and he is there to show you that yes, you do have you do have your dreams, and maybe it feels like you're being denied them. But look at all of the the good and happiness that you have brought into this world, and it's really nice message in that regards because you when you are in the middle of something you can't see it for the bigger picture that it is but if you if you can remove yourself you can go oh my life has value my i what i did mattered and i think especially especially in post-war america like you needed to hear that and and i think a lot of people did hear that They, they won the war and they felt like yes my contribution to this effort meant something great but and not that, but not everybody got to not everybody got to feel that feel like that part george bailey obviously he didn't get to directly because participate. he didn't fight and his brother did and that was another thing that i actually hadn't even thought about that his mm. brothers the literally at the end of the movie is at the white house with the president yeah with truman and himself you know, he's doing the air raids in Bedford Falls. He doesn't get to be the big shot, getting yeah. the medals, meeting the president, but, making you know, the whole town proud. Right. But 
make you know those those bond, those war bond drives, all all those little things. He George Bailey did what he could with what he's got at the at at, at the time he could, and I think that and he did a lot. He did, but you know sometimes you just go like, oh, I'm doing this when I'd really rather be doing this, and it can drive you it can drive you so crazy. I totally being get that. Being a middle school, being a middle school drama teacher, as opposed to being in New York and you know being in Broadway. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I, like, like I, 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 I am in New York. I am not on Broadway. I feel like I should be, just because where else can you be on Broadway but on Broadway? But there, you know, for every every what it what it comes down to, it's it's. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the butterfly effect. Is that every path mm-hmm. you take leads you down another path? But then there's this infinite infinite universes of possibilities of things that didn't happen like there's there's obviously here there's the world where george bailey didn't exist and so that affects all of these things in this particular way but there could have easily been there's you know where he marries violet instead of mary and you go oh that's That'd change things. Who wouldn't want to marry Violet instead of Mary? Violet, when I got cast as Violet, my mom said, of course you got cast as Violet. You never <laughs> would have been the Donna Reed role. You would be, of course, you're the one with the cute hats and kind of flirty. Yeah, and no, and I, I believe they would describe it as va-va-voom. Yeah, You've got a lot I, of that going on. It's like, of course you're that character. You're never going to be Donna Reed and, you know, saddled with the boring life for right right and i had to laugh i was right. like thank you i take that as a compliment right. i do like how they the the contrast between um violet and mary was violet's this super attractive girl she's she's she's, she's all this and then you have donna reed being like oh donna donna reed's the plain one like no no, no that's not in no world is that ever ever true, true. Yet she hadn't been in a movie she won the Academy Award for from here to eternity mm-hmm. where she essentially plays a prostitute. So this was still 1946 Donna Reed where, and I love at the beginning when it's the little girls and little Violet goes, I think he's cute. And she's like, you think all the oh, boys are cute. cute. I said, yeah. I was a little more violent as a little girl than Mary. I, George, a young George Bailey, that was, I have to admit, like, that was a, like, that's a handsome boy right there. He really was. I was like, Jesus, like, where did they get this kid? What? And oh, my God. He was, and he was a terrific actor. Yeah, he was really great. Children actors really, it's a very fine line it's between hit or miss. punch them in the face or they're really interesting. Right. He the, really was interesting. Some of the Bailey children were a little iffy towards the end. I think the youngest one who uh, had the Zuzu, Zuzu. I didn't like uh, her acting was was cringeworthy, but young George Bailey was uh, was 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 actually pretty great. So, um I mean, we have to talk about Jimmy Stewart here. Uh, obviously. Uh is this where do I begin? Yeah, okay. Where where do we get? Is would you call would you call this like his uh his best performance his most noteworthy what do you like where where do you stand on Jimmy Stewart um one I love him and everybody I, loves him he's the Tom he really, Hanks of the Golden he Age is like the Tom Hanks he's Tom Hanks is the only person that can even compare to him True. agreed because this is I think the role that most people associate with him mm-hmm 
Yeah, uh, well, it's, 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 it's between well, I feel like not most people haven't seen Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. He's amazing, amazing. I think if you can, for all women, if you can watch that movie and not have a crush on him after seeing him <laughs> play Jefferson Washington, whatever his name I mean, is. It's some very, it's some very like, American name. <laughs> <laughs> his name's like Thomas Jefferson Washington, whatever. Yeah. I think it's impossible because he's he's so handsome and he's got so much charisma and he's just got so much gosh darn it to heck integrity and you uh, know shucks yeah and he's wonderful but then I loved him more when I saw him in all the Hitchcock films where he plays these really dark cynical twisted characters and it's sh it's shocking to see him and like to go from this to go to like vertigo mm -hmm. where he's such a creep, but it just makes me like him more. It just makes me respect him even more knowing that he can do those really dark, twisted, almost criminal mind roles oh, yeah. after playing this. And I think he was, he should have won an Academy Award for this. He should not have won for the Philadelphia story. Yeah. Cary Grant I think was the real male lead of that movie. He, sh if anyone was going to win for the Philadelphia story, it should have been him. Although that year it should have gone to Henry Fonda for the grapes of wrath. But now I'm getting all in my little Academy Award tangent rabbit hole. This show is literally about the Academy Awards. So we will tolerate that to an extent, but I know you could probably it go all day. We're re on that. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm refocusing now, but he's amazing in this. I think the fact that his, he has to show his character from his, 20s when he's about to go out on the road uh -huh. because his brother's graduating high school and he's already older and should right. be in college but he's not he's not but i do love how they just they're like we're not going to even try to make him look any younger <laughs> he's just he's the but most he's the least convincing 22 year old <laughs> he's not but he still ages in the movie and i think that that's really a testament they didn't do they didn't try. But if you look at like his voice, his mannerisms, he's really silly and he's kind of goofy and he, his voice is like higher pitched at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then to go to he just keeps getting beaten down by life. Yeah. To this scene where he's on the bridge and this kills me every time I watch it when he's on the bridge and he is just a completely broken man and he's just begging for God to help him. And it's such despair in such a way that I think, I don't think he gets enough credit for in the movie. I really don't. It's a very dark, dark movie in certain places. And I think when you think about Frank Capra, you tend to think it's sentimental schlock mm -hmm. But it's not. And that's what makes it so much better is that we've all been to that breaking point of despair where you're like, I can't, I don't even know what I'm going to do anymore. Yeah. The beauty of Jimmy Stewart in this movie is that he does play that, you know, kind of silly character a lot of the time, you know, it, and that's there, mm -hmm. but there's, he still has this undercurrent where like, say Peter Finch in in network he just like he's just getting slowly wound up and it's just and he's trying to trying to hold it all together because that's what he's supposed to do he's like all right i'm just gonna tough this out but 
he lets it weigh on him in a way that I don't think I don't think if you cast anyone else in this role, it would have been as effective. No. Because, because you have this, you know, you have this preconceived notion of who Jimmy Stewart is, and he's, you know, and just his voice and the way the way he holds himself is is one thing. But underneath it, he has to he has to hold. On. There's 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 a lot of darkness there, and you're right. Frank Capra doesn't get a lot of uh, credit for his darkness. Like a lot of his like some of his films, I remember you can't take it with you. Felt like uh, it's like who cares? Whatever. It's just it's mm-hmm. it's early Capra and it's it's fine. But this is like more polished. You because what makes the light at the end of the tunnel better is how dark that tunnel is. And I gotta admit, Jimmy Stewart is about ready to jump off a bridge and kill himself after showing us repeatedly, slowly, methodically how these things have just been piling up. How life. Like not even things that you know he has any control of. Just life is getting like the depression gets in the way. His father dies. Every little thing just like. And it's always when he's about to get out. Yes. It's always at the beginning. At the first time you see him when he's an adult, he's getting a suitcase and I'm going out and I've got here are my tickets for the boat. I mean, he's like on the next boat out of town. Mm-hmm. But before he goes, oh, I'll go to a dance tonight. Why not? Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. guess what? Your dad had a stroke and you have to stay and you can't go. No, yeah. they say go. But if you do, your dad's business this and everything you worked for is going to be on the table. So he stays out of obligation. He makes that decision. Right. Gives but, his college money to his brother. Yeah. He's he's like the, he's like the, the nicest guy, but at the same time, you can just... Like when he snaps at his family, which is br- a brilliant bit of acting on on Stewart because he doesn't he doesn't go over the edge to like unbelievable or monster. He's just he's not he's not angry. He's just frustrated. He's everything is like Uncle Billy just screwed him over completely. He lost the money. He doesn't know where and it is. Playing the piano. Oh and yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah, you just you just on his stairs that keeps coming uh-huh. up in his hand. Yeah, all these little things that by themselves, sure, whatever. But when you throw them all together into what I guess we will call life, it can just it just comes out, and then that's when like all of the re- the entire prologue to the movie, which is like it's all kind of one big prologue till till this to this uh, alternate dimension, and it all comes rushing back, and you go, God, this guy like. Guys have he's having a he's having a shit day he's having a shit year and he's had you know he's had a it seems like he's had a shit life but obviously that's not the case because it's called it's a wonderful life and but you can you feel it you really do and, and we've all been there we have all yeah been we've all had those and that's what's really so great days. about it yeah is it's nineteen forty six you know they're wearing the dated clothes or whatever. But we've all had that when you come home and you just want to like cry and you just want to fall apart and your right. kid's like, oh, I'm practicing for Christmas and daddy, how do you spell frankincense? And you're just like, if one more person asks me a question, I'm just going to kill myself. Yeah. And he almost does, but he is saved by Clarence Oddbody. Now, back, Clarence is an angel. And I just want to back up because I love the very... 
very 1940s special effects <laughs> that they have at the beginning. And also, so uh, for those of you who don't know or don't remember, uh, a couple of angels are discussing what to do about George Bailey because everybody is like really praying for, pray, him. praying for him, which is just a hilarious and antiquated, antiquated thing. Like, oh, yes, this is, this is Frank Capra's America. And these angels are not actual angels. They're literally galaxies in the universe. And they're just like lighting up and talking. And I like, it was, to me, it's just kind of funny because I was thinking, man, physicists are just like, what the fuck is happening right now? It's, <laughs> I was I was wondering like what like what are the 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 space what, what what's the space physics that's happening right? And it's not a real thing, space physics. What's what's going on right now? There's suddenly a star comes over. Like oh my oh man, things are things are going crazy in the heavens. Anyways, what did you think of the very blatant uh, discussion and the I'm going to say hilarious. Um, characterization of the angels as galaxies and stars because honestly that took me out it didn't for me okay maybe because when i first saw this movie i was also like 13 years old Fair. but i think it could have been done and if it actually showed angels in the 1940s and they actually showed people they would have had them in the white gowns with the little halos yeah, like they sitting around talking and i think that would have been really stupid right i don't know if there's a way to have done it like this is a fine way and i get why i did it. it's very it's very non-denominational it, it does feel kind of it feels very hokey and also, they go away for very long stretches of time. I just always expected them to, like, he would be, uh, Clarence would be chatting with the other angels a bit more often, like, sort of narrating the events. at the beginning and then huge space of time and they come in at the end. Yeah, and then, and then, he, just mag- and then he just magically appears. And you don't see it. You hear them, you hear them talking. Yeah, which, which I actually, I didn't mind the, hearing them talking. I go, oh, because they're, they're essentially looking, they're, like, running through the film of this guy's life. So they're just like fast forwarding a lot of stuff. Which... Yeah. So we're kind <coughs> of in Clarence's. Yeah. And then, and then, and then suddenly he catches up and just poof. It, it, he poof could have, they, they could have done that. They could have just shown different pictures of Bedford falls and just kind of had all the dialogue and just kind of shown the things around town or. I don't know. Possibly. It's possibly. We can't, I mean, it's fun to. Speculate. Speculate on creative decisions that we would have done had we been in the, in, in the, in the case, but we review the movie that we have. Uh, so we get to the major part of the film. Everybody remembers. Suddenly, you know, Clarence comes down. George Bailey says, uh, "You know, I wish I never wish I'd never been born." And Clarence is like, "Okay, let's see what life would have been like when you had no longer existed." And this is where it all sort of comes together. And uh, I, I don't know if this is where it becomes like on the nose but what what are your thoughts on how much of an impact george bailey has had on this town and how how do these scenes feel to you the i feel i feel like it's very fair and i think capra did a good job building up the movie to that point because had he made it shorter i don't think we would have felt the despair i think we needed to really go on that journey with him yeah and that was a definitely it wasn't too long but by the time he's about to jump from that bridge, we're like, dude, I get it. Yeah. 
Seriously, and I think that that was really it was very well paced because yeah. the part at the end is a nightmare and it does happen at a faster pace. I think it's pretty realistic as far as what he did, which was, you know, his fundamental belief that we all all of us deserve a little a little place to call our own. We all deserve a little house. We all deserve a place where we can raise a family, which by the way, especially these days, I kept, as I was thinking about it, I was like, this is a very timely movie for what's going on right now. And, and what do you think are rights versus needs? Do people really have the right to have a little house just to call their own and a job where they can raise their family? Some people say yes. Some people say no, but, um, and and how the town would have been taken over by the evil Mr. Potter and mm. people would have lived in shacks and stuff like that. The one that did crack me up was little spinster librarian Mary Bailey. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> that that always makes me laugh. Like clearly she never would have gotten married. But in some ways, maybe that was true because, you know, I like when it shows them as kids, I think those little kid actors were great. Mary Bailey, that little girl was a very good little Mary Bailey, and the girl's a very good little Violet Bick. Yes. And how you know that she's, and she's not glamorous in the way that a Gloria Graham who played Violet is, is, you know, Donna Reed is a very attractive woman, but not in a flashy kind of a way. Correct. And she's such a great actress. That when they're at the dance and she kind of you, you see her for the first time as Donna Reed and you can see her get all like and you see her like almost get like breathless with seeing him and get a little tongue tied and nervous. And it's very, very sweet. And it's such a natural way of acting. That she gets all nervous around him and frustrated with him when he acts like a bonehead that part of you thinks maybe she wouldn't have gotten married if it weren't for him because she also doesn't seem like the kind of person who would just marry Sam Wainwright just to be rich and have a big meal ticket. It was a very nice car Sam Wainwright was driving though. I know. Part of me is like, what is she thinking? Yeah, come on. What did, what did George Bailey ever do? It turns out George Bailey. New York, get on the phone, girl. Yeah. Sam Wainwright's making plastics and stuff. That's a business that'll be going for a while. But George Bailey does a lot too. And, well, you know what? You know what I was wondering? I was wondering, you know what I would like to see? I would like to see a movie where, because there are a lot of movies that are kind of like this, like The, the Weatherman with Nicolas Cage and, and stuff like that. I would like to see a movie that, what happens if somebody looks at their life and the, you know, and like what would happen if they weren't, if they weren't ever born? And they realize that actually, no, wait, things would actually be better. And what if they like chose to exist in that timeline as a non end as like like no I'm not I'm not because I would be I mean, you know what I'd be fascinated I would be fascinated to see this movie from Potter's perspective because Lionel Barrymore he's like one of the greatest curmudgeonly scrooges I think in cinema history he's just so like oh fuck this guy so much I hate him his character is so tiny <laughs> so yeah I was I was watching all this I'm like oh my it's like a rich a rich real estate mogul who's trying to just screw everybody over like what does that sound like calls them the rabble of the working class yeah has just no no respect for them you and know, they're all losers raises their rents etc but I you know what I would love to see like what if Clarence came down and said hey Hey Potter, here's what life would be like without you, and like, it's 
everything's so much better, or that he, or that the only the only reason he exists is to be the the adversary that the Baileys will always triumph over. And by the way, shame on you for taking that money. You, which, which, I, which I'm so mad. I'm like, why was that never resolved? It should have been resolved. Never I know it's not the point. Never gets his comeuppance. Did never. you ever see? They did a Saturday Night Live skit about this. Have you ever seen it? I don't think so, but now I feel like I have to. Either the late '80s, early '90s. Dana Carvey played Jimmy Stewart, uh-huh. and it was sort of. It was so funny because it was like, oh, this is the lost ending that Frank Capra <laughs> ever filmed. So it was Dana Carvey, um, Jan Hooks. I mean, we're talking like she had the dress, the hairstyle, and John Lovitz played um, Mr. Potter. And so they do the end, and they're all singing, and then they're like, oh, didn't you hear Mr. Potter has the money? So he's like, what? So he goes over, and they all just kick the shit out of him. <laughs> Wait, I think I, think I had seen that, yeah. Cause... Kick him out of the wheelchair, and he's like, I want a piece of you, Potter, and he's just like kicking the shit out of him. <laughs> and this was like what I... This was a long time ago when I saw this, but it's still one of the funniest things because it's true. You're like, he never gets his comeuppance. Yeah, but, but I don't think that's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is that despite his... He, he was bested by George Bailey, and yeah, that he... alone is going to destroy him. Yes, and not, not just George Bailey. Everyone that Potter had ever like put out or you know, cast aside, they all come back, even the police that are over there to arrest George Bailey for whatever financial oh, stuff they're, 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 they're making. Oh, they're money embezzlement. Yeah. And... Even they are like, George Bailey, you're one of a kind. And you're like, that, the, I was welling up with emotion at the ending because, like, this is the part where, Mom, I think you would go, this feels so tacky and maudlin. I think it was earned. I like, you know what? Because really we, we have we have met all we've met most of these people, and they, George George Bailey has touched all of them in some way, and it it felt very. It felt like this is what we should strive for as a society. We should be there for each really? other, and it's so hopeful and optimistic that you can't help but go, God damn it, yes, Frank but Capra, I- you get it. And I don't think of it as really being corny and sentimental. And like I said, the older I get, the more I'm like, it's so real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like all the world's problems. It's not like sentimental would have been if Lionel Barrymore was like, you know what? Look at George Bailey. Maybe I need to be a better person. That would have been That would have been stupid. Actually. You know what I mean? That would have been a really hokey that he suddenly has a change of heart and all of a sudden wants to be friends. That would have been stupid and schlocky, but this was just, he's all of these people have a better life because they know George Bailey. They have a nicer home. He's the guy who's always there for them. And Capra did such a good job building that world that you've seen these characters grow up together. Yeah. The fact that, so when Mary's like, hey, George is in trouble, the fact that they're like, oh, we need to help him. That's not crazy or outlandish. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, of course these people would do that. Yeah. yeah. And you don't and it's need not, to... it, and, and of course, you know, Sam Wainwright, they've established he's got a lot of money. So yeah, Sam Wainwright's going to help out his buddy. It's not like, I, that would never happen. Of course it would happen. Yeah. 
And they, he became rich. He became richer because of all of them, more than the eight thousand dollars that he owed. He got like yeah. Sam. Sam gave him like twenty, like a, just a lot of money. And everybody <laughs> else pitched in, and yeah. and it's like, oh, okay. And and they would do that. That's a very as fantasy as this movie may seem. It's actually a very realistic ending. Yeah. What is an ocean but a multitude of drops? What is a thousand dollars but a thousand single dollar bills? That it was something, something along those lines. It's very, it's. I mean, I get the, even the, even the angel gets his wings line that Zuzu says, which you know, is one of those things that you just see, mm-hmm. but it's always out of context. In the context of the movie, you go, they have been referencing that kind of this whole time. Uh, Clarence has, you know, that's that's like that's like his desire. That's like the that's thing his he wants. In that's, the movie is yeah. to get his wings. He wants to get his wings, and to do that, he has to, you know, help George Bailey out, however he feels necessary, and he does. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, is it a cheat? Is it kind of a corny, is a hokey line when you just see it, like I have for years and years? Yes. It's like, oh my god, this little bratty kid saying this line, like, oh, like Tiny Tim all over again. Please God, no. But, but it lets the audience know, rather than like in heaven, hearing like, okay, you know, you got your wings. Oh, gee, thanks. That would have been corny. That would have been, so that would have been corny. Like, oh, the bell rang. He got his wings. Bam. We all know yeah. it's established. Mm-hmm. Oh, and when Jimmy Stewart looks up, it says, attaboy, Clarence. I do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It destroys me every single year. Yeah. I don't think this movie is even just uh, the fact that it's limited to being a Christmas movie. And I just did air quotes. Yeah. It's, it is and it isn't. I can see why. Much in the same way that, oh, it's really anything that sort of takes place around Christmas is automatically a Christmas movie. So all of Shane Black's movies, like Die Hard, they're mm-hmm. clearly all Christmas movies now. You know, like, I'm, I'm very mad at the internet for like, insisting that Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie. I'm like, no, really not. But I could, you know, I could, given that we only tend to think about other people outside of our immediate family around Christmas, I can see why this definitely is a Christmas movie, but you can watch it any time of year and you will walk away with the same feeling of, hey, you know, humanity ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it has a timeless quality that is amplified by Christmas, certainly. But yeah, it's not, it is not limited to Christmas. And you're right. Exactly. The fact that it is limited to Christmas yeah. does the film a disservice. Um, but with all the snow, sure, yeah, it, it, it's, it feels like a cold movie. And, like, I don't want to, like, I just want to watch this with, like, a mug of hot cocoa and throw it oh. up in a blanket and be great. But the thing with the snow that, that I was thinking is I love when he's, he's back on the bridge mm-hmm. after that nightmare sequence, and it's just quiet. So quiet. That quiet, and if you haven't ever lived in a place, like woken up on a morning when everything's just covered with snow, and there's just this peace it's and this quiet, and, and you have that moment. And then he's like, oh, my gosh. And then there's the big raucous joy and the music and he's running but there's that just that moment of like you can almost just hear the wind blow yeah. and it's just that little moment of peace when he wakes up and i just i love that little that moment yeah. so much i like the the whole mise-en-scene in that in that scene because you know he's he's there on the bridge he's in the nightmare 
and then he's like, dear God, you know, please help. And right when it says God, it starts snowing again. And it's an effortless transition back to the real world. So effortless. Goes, so effortless I I'm like, oh, again. shit. I, I, and he goes, I, I just want to live again. Yeah. And then uh, the, you know, the cop comes, uh, Bert, of uh, Bert and Ernie. Come Which and... I didn't know until I was older. And I was like, <laughs> wow, how long is that? Have I not picked up on the fact that their names are Bert and Ernie? Yeah. And then it's it's a whole and it becomes you know he he has that realization I'm like oh that was, that was a that was a that was a beautiful filmmaking moment right there the use of you know having the best special effect in the world which is Jimmy Stewart obviously uh, with the with the snow falling and the way it was it was it was cut together so subtly that you wouldn't even notice mm-hmm. uh, it's brilliant it's like I was like wow. This is very well done. <laughs> and his explosion and his running through town out of contact seems, oh my gosh, he's overacting. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like there's no subtlety or whatever, but it's like once you've gone on that journey and he's gone to the brink and Jimmy Stewart goes there, he brings you to that point, sees how horrible this would be without him, begs for his life back. Yeah, he's going to have that explosion of joy. It makes sense. But you have to have gone on that journey. And if all you watch is just little clips, you're, you're not going to get it. Yeah. Well, sometimes you do got to experience the whole thing in order to... And it really, it really, the whole, it's so good. It really is just one scene, great scene after another. It's also one of the most romantic movies I've ever seen. Yeah. It really is. And you get, you feel unconventional, the Unconventional. Unconventional. You feel the frustration in the marriage. You feel the love in the marriage, and just like oh, I, I love, I love how they meet. Just the chemistry they have. God, and that's in that scene. You know, they're dancing. You're like, oh yeah, you don't know how to Charleston at all. Don't lie to me. You're oh oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. And then she's amazing. Yeah, you're like, oh, of course. Yeah, and you know, oh, and, and when the guy comes over and he's like, do me a favor and dance with my sister, and he's like, jeez, oh, and you see her, you just see her like. She just glows. Yeah. And it's so sweet. And it's never saccharine. It's never false. Because even when he's like, I still want to leave. I want to leave. I want to leave. All I want to do is get out of that town. And when he goes over and she puts the record on and he's all angry and my brother's home and now he's not going to take over the building and loan and he's married so now right. I'm stuck here in this horrible town and this is so stupid and and he shakes her and he's like I don't want to marry you I just want to leave and she cries and it's so heartbreaking but then you know they kiss yeah, you know what I want to do every day and you're like what and he's like oh I just want to be, want to be with you I'm like, yeah you do Who wouldn't when want he to wants to do Oh, and the bit about I'm going to lasso the moon is the most romantic thing ever. But not corny. It's all, it fits into the movie. And I love the old guy who's like, dude, shut up and just kiss her. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we've all, been, I think we've all been on every side of that equation. Or somebody's, yes! somebody's sweet talking to us, we're sweet talking to them. Or we're seeing people who are sweet talking to us. She's like, oh my God, just please. It's, it's, yes. it's a, it's a, a on many levels, it is a very relatable movie to where, it's like, because it follows a life. It's like, yeah, if you're a kid, you can you can get it. If you're fresh out of college, you can get it. If you're with a family, you should definitely get it when you're when you're with a family. It's yes, it's touching and timeless in a way not a lot of films are. Certainly not a lot of films. I think even a lot of films we talk about on this show are mm-hmm. not. 
So uh, that does bring us to the end of our discussion and our final question. Should the wonderful, It's a Wonderful Life have won Best Picture that year? This week, I, have, I, I feel a little differently. I really think in, 19, in the context of 1946, if I were voting for Best Picture, I truly believe I would have voted for Best Years of Our Lives. Because in 1946, if that was my mentality, I would definitely see that as a very important film at that time. Yes. Also because it it didn't just deal with the war. The fact that I think it was probably one of the first movies that really dealt with the now you're home. Yeah, it was it was now it was it was it was an entirely a a, a, a coming home situation. And really a totally new angle that people didn't think about because you thought, oh, they come home, you're a big hero, there's the parades, and oh yeah, life just goes on, but it doesn't. And I think that's why that was such an important movie. And in 1946, I would have voted that way. And I yeah. probably would might have voted for Frederick March. However, as far as like one of the greatest movies ever made, totally It's a Wonderful Life. And I don't even put it in the genre of, like, it's not my favorite Christmas movie. It's one of my favorite movies across the board. It just happens to have Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But it's not one of those where I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe the best years of our life one. That was so. St-. It's not one of those. No. You know what I mean? Because sometimes it is like The Lion in Winter, where it's like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this lost to what movie? I agree with my valley. Like, no, best years of our lives is also a very important film, especially when it came out. It's still very good. Uh, I know you haven't seen it, but check it out. It's and I want to, and it's, it's totally on my list, which is why I think it a hundred percent makes sense why that movie won. But it's a wonderful life. Isn't just the best movie of that year. It's really one of the greatest movies ever. Right. Any genre. But of course we have. Amy, yeah, because it has a very high rating on the Amy Thomas and Top One Hundred. Hey now. But, of course, the Amy Thompson Top 100 does have 70 years of hindsight uh, with it. I do absolutely agree that I probably would have gone best years of our lives as well. Because, again, these are this is not we're, we're voting for uh, what's going to be the best movie of all time. We're voting for what is the best movie that is specific to this particular year. And in 1946, right after World War II, you could not have picked a better film to win Best Picture than the best years of our lives. Much like how last year... like. Yeah, Moonlight, the movie to win for that year because of everything that was happening and about to happen. Um, it just it may, these these are time capsules, and a lot of the times the films that are most indicative of the year are not the ones that endure because they are so locked into the time and place that they were made. Best Years of Our Lives does transcend that because I think it does have a lot to say about uh, PTSD and. The war that soldiers have to face when they come home that is completely different than the war that they were just just in that makes it uh, particularly unique. But a lot of a lot of the things they just it's like, also very timeless in its yeah. own way. Yeah. completely. But I mean, looking looking back, if we if we had to relitigate all of previous Oscars, we'd be like, yeah, it's a wonderful life. It's not just that Christmas movie that you watch with your family at once a year. It's you know, this is a good movie. This is a good movie. People watch this for a reason, and it has a lot to say about a lot of things. And you can take something away from it uh, at any age and at any time you do what you do watch it from. 
Uh, hard, toss up, hard to say. Go see both of these movies. Seriously, they're both worth your time. They are long, but seriously, uh, worth the investment in them. Big emotional payoff. Big and both, time. And both. They're yeah, both stunningly, just stunningly emotional films. They're uh, brilliant in, in, in each of their own rights. It's Capra and William Wyler. Like, just watch those guys make movies and you're, you're set in how, in how films are supposed to be made. You have been listening to Oscar Watch. We want to thank you for a wonderful year. Lots of big things. I had a baby. That's exciting. Uh, we gained one co-host, Matt. We gained Amy. Awesome. Glad to have you around. Uh, that was 2017. We wish you all a Merry Christmas. What is 2018 going to bring us? Who knows? But we do have an Academy Awards race heating up. Coming and out. this is the best time of year to hit the movies. There's oh. about 15 movies I need so to go So exciting. See. And yes, people, we will be talking about those in the coming months. We are going to be taking a break next week. So enjoy your new year. If you like what you have heard, do write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Or even if you didn't like what you heard, Love to hear criticisms as well. Find us on social media at Oscar Watch Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And Amy, where can folks at find Amy you? Thompson eleven on Twitter. On the Twitter sphere. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Solstice, whatever is your fancy. Just have a great one. Wish you a very happy New Year. May twenty eighteen. If twenty seventeen was good for you, may 2018 be better. If 2017 was bad for you, may 2018 be better. Thank you so much from all of us here at Oscar Watch Podcast. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening all the time. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll see you on the red carpet. As I was walking down the street, down the street, down the street, a pretty little girl I chanced to meet, we danced by the light of the moon. Buffalo gals, won't you come out tonight, come out tonight, come out tonight. Buffalo gals, won't you come out tonight, we'll dance by the... Hold on, Ben, let's hear it, folks. Go ahead.